Hey, hey, this is Grayson Singleton, and you're listening to the Gray Area Podcast. Coming up on today's show, we're going to talk about the debacle in Jacksonville that has been Urban Meyer. Chris Wallace has left Fox News, so what that means for his former network and his new employer, CNN. And also Stephen A. Smith's criteria as to when he will entertain debate about LeBron James being the greatest player of NBA history. Take a listen. So over the weekend, obviously there was, you know, the slate of NFL games as we continue to head down the home stretch of the regular season. Also some primetime NBA, really a lot of, you know, angst as to when Steph Curry would become the three-point king, which he did on Tuesday night against the New York Knicks up at the Garden. So if he wasn't going to do it in the Bay Area, why not do it at Madison Square Garden, right? But the big news that we are all talking about outside of the football is the Jacksonville Jaguars. And you're asking, why are we talking about the Jacksonville Jaguars after week 14 in the NFL? We haven't done that since 2017 when they made the AFC Championship game. Well, the reason we're talking about the lowly Jaguars is because of their head coach. And over the weekend, even more damning reports about Urban Meyer's tumultuous tenure in Jacksonville surfaced about how players and assistant coaches have felt belittled by him and basically have said that he has lost all tune of the locker room and it is only a ticking time bomb, I'm paraphrasing here, to when Urban Meyer's time in Jacksonville will be over. Now, look, I'm not one of those people who are going to front and say, I hate to say I told you so, because I love to say I told you so. Because when this first happened, and I believe I said this on one episode of a podcast, I can't believe which episode, I can't remember what episode it was, but I had no inclination to think that this would ever work with Urban Meyer. And, you know, his first act of duty was to bring over that dude from Iowa, the strength and conditioning coach that was accused of being racist and bullying players. That was the first thing that should have told all of us that this thing was not going to work. But anyway, before we get into the whole timeline of events, you know, Jacksonville under Urban Meyer, what what has happened here? First of all, the team looks completely inept. Trevor Lawrence, who was hailed as this guy who was supposed to be this generational pro talent. And let's be clear when we say generational talent, when we talk about guys coming from college to the pros, or in the case of LeBron James, high school to the pros. You know, we're talking about guys like LeBron James, Luka Doncic, um, Trevor Lawrence, it would be one of them, Mike Trout in baseball. Generational talents. And one of the things you do not see with generational talents is that they look like deer in headlights, look in over their heads, completely inept. And that's what Trevor Lawrence looks like. You know, he threw four interceptions to the Tennessee Titans this week, and Jacksonville couldn't even muster a point. So that said, this is not something that just happened in week 14. I be- In each of his first four games, Trevor Lawrence threw multiple interceptions. Now, he cut down the turnovers for most of the season, so he's now only at 14, which is which has averaged out to about a little over one per game as the Jaguars, I believe, are like 2-11, something like that. They're bad. You know, they have a they have a nice, you know, core of weapons. You know, James Robinson is a pretty good back. Marvin Jones Jr., I believe, is a great wide receiver. LaVisca Chenault is 
a good young wide receiver. I don't know if he'll develop into a number one, but certainly he's a great two. You know, you pull off a good trade to bring over a good tight end in Dan Arnold from from Arizona, or from, from uh, Carolina. He was with Carolina this year. How, and the Jaguars look completely, completely inept. They're getting blown out of the water. They are turnover prone. Their defense can't stop anybody of note. And they just look poorly coached. And you look over at the sideline, which brings us back to Urban Meyer. You look over to the sideline and him, he looks gassed. He looks exhausted. He looks like he doesn't belong in the NFL. And the real th- and look, I'm not opposed to hiring coaches out of college. I think Matt Rule is going to do a pretty good job as a head coach in the NFL. Having a down year with Carolina this year. Obviously, they've had they've had a few injuries, but they need, they need to get their quarterback right. Sam Darnold is not the guy, and obviously the Cam Newton experiment was good for a game, maybe. But Matt Rule can be a good NFL coach, and he was a good coach in college. Cliff Kingsbury, eh, wasn't that great of a coach in college, but, you know, the Cardinals are tied atop the NFC the NFC as a conference, their playoff picture, and still have a one-game lead in the NFC West, so he's proven that he can be a, at least a halfway decent head coach. Even Pete Carroll, you know, a college, a guy, a guy who made his bones in the college ranks now in the NFL, that worked. There are differences between those three guys' personalities and Urban Meyer. Which brings us to the first thing, why this whole situation was doomed from the beginning. People with Urban Meyer's personality, when you had, when you observe this in college, this should never make its way to the NFL. These sort of tyrant authoritarian coaches in college, you can get away with that at that level because you're still coaching kids. And I put kids in air quotes because they are technically adults. You know, you're coaching, you know, 18, 19 up till 23 years old. And the reason why that is, is because of how college sports is viewed along the landscape of American society, and that being that they are amateurs. Obviously, something I have expressed that I do not agree with, the whole amateur stats. I think they are the people that do the brunt of a work in a capitalistic business. But nevertheless, they just left their parents' house, and there are ways that you can justify treating them like kids. Also, not to mention that the real bosses and the real people who hold college coaches accountable and call them to the carpet are boosters and the local media, which the local media are basically cheerleaders for the university. So there's not really much accountability there, which is why you can get away with that. These are these are also people that are not paying mortgages yet, not trying to feed families, you know, so you still have that much power over them, and that tyrannical authoritarian personality can fly in that particular environment. You know, we talk about the coach from Iowa who was, you know, being racist to players. Okay, number one, you're in Iowa. There's not going to be much national accountability there anyway. But also, you know, the players don't have that much power. So what can they do? It's not like they're going to stage a complete protest like what happened in Missouri, which was which was a pretty gutsy move, but not one that you're going to see a lot of kids be comfortable doing because, you know, them trying to get their education, you know, they're paying for that with playing football. So they're not really going to jeopardize that. You can really understand that. But you can also get away with that because, again, the people who really will call you to the carpet, unless you commit some heinous crime, 
probably are not going to care. That cannot fly in the NFL, and it doesn't. It doesn't fly. These are grown adults who make millions of dollars, who can get your behind fired really quickly, not to mention that the NFL is starting to take instances of bullying, racism, workplace misconduct, those sorts of things, more seriously. There's not really a universal way to enforce that at the collegiate level. So people like that you can get away with, but Urban Meyer's got to be smart enough to not bring that dude to the NFL and bring other people who have tyrant personalities into the NFL because NFL players will not allow you to relate to them like that. You know, another example of that would be, do we think, we, we all think Dabo Sweeney is a fantastic college coach at Clemson. He's won a couple national titles, knocked off Alabama once. He has coached two quarterbacks who had the potential to be great quarterbacks in the NFL. Deshaun Watson already is one, and, you know, we still await the result of his legal situation. And then also Trevor Lawrence, who we think can eventually grow into a top 10 quarterback with his talent, with his size, with his arm strength. Dabo Sweeney ain't working in the NFL. Because Dabo Sweeney's personality and ways of doing things at the collegiate level, you cannot teach a dude like that to completely do something different. It just doesn't work out. Now, Nick Saban is also like this. He also has a little bit of a tyrant personality. But Nick Saban has shown the ability, you know, to adapt to different environments. So he possibly could. But the Dabo Sweeney's of the world, the Urban Myers of the world, that's just not going to work. Brian Kelly. That, that kind of personality, that just cannot fly. So, your first problem there was that you hired Urban Meyer. The second problem, obviously, being the strength and conditioning coach from Iowa. We've talked about that. The third problem is that the best player, arguably, because you still had Marvin Jones, on Jacksonville's roster was James Robinson, a good up-and-coming running back. Now, if you want to say, we need two running backs, that's fantastic. Did you need to spend a first-round pick on Travis Etienne? I mean, seriously. You don't need an up-and-coming running back who just rushed for 1,000 yards in his rookie year and then go get a first-round running back. The Denver Broncos drafted Javante Williams in the third round, and he has been dynamite. And you know who the Broncos were able to pick up in the, in the first round? Oh, yeah, maybe the next best shutdown corner in the NFL in Patrick Sertan. So they upgraded two positions by properly pricing commodities. That was problem number two. Now, does it have does that have more to do with general manager Trent Baalke? Maybe. And I don't believe he's done the most fantastic job, you know, running operations with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Maybe his first problem, hiring Urban Meyer. But it's a collective effort. Urban Meyer probably had a lot to say with that because, again, tyrant personality. So there's problem number two. You, you drafted you drafted wrong, outside of the obvious and getting Trevor Lawrence. And then problem number three, and this might be the most important. Trevor Lawrence looks lost. I mean, he looks so bad in the NFL right now. I mentioned that all the multi- interception games that he's had you know they're not winning he has a quarterback rating a passer rating of 68.9 which is an atrocity he's thrown for 27 35 yards okay not not horrible not great still um has one 300 yard game against Miami before Miami really got things turned around 
And he has nine touchdown passes. Nine. Through 13 games. The biggest reason why you might just want to get rid of Urban Meyer is to get Urban Meyer as far away from Trevor Lawrence's career as possible. Because when you miss on a first-round pick, on a top overall pick, you miss on that, that can set you back an additional three years. Now, look, Jacksonville wasn't going to be competitive, probably not this year, probably not next year. But now you've, you've added more years because you missed on a quarterback. Now, Trevor Lawrence is not a bust already. We're not, we're, I'm not going to be that hyperbolic to say that. But there's no development. There's been no improvement, really, that you've seen with him, with his ability to make good decisions based on information processed quickly. And it's not like he's devoid of weaponry. Like I mentioned, he has Dan Arnold as a tight end, which I believe is a, a good tight end, is a young quarterback's best friend. He's got James Robinson, a serviceable running back, at worst. Marvin Jones Jr., a former Pro Bowl wide receiver who was a number one with Detroit for, for the last couple of years. You've got LaVisca Chenault, a good, young, uh, developing receiver at the number two. You've got guys. And it's not like he's under pressure an immense amount. So this goes back to the coach, which, by the way, Urban Meyer is, a, is an offensive coach. So I just gave you three reasons why this whole thing has gone to complete tank. It's, it's been awful. His personality, his decision-making, which we didn't even talk about, the decision not to fly home from Cincinnati with the team, and, you know, the, the situation he got himself in in the uh, establishment with the young woman. I, I mean, I hope he was able to rectify that with his family because that's not, that's not an easy one. But his decision-making is poor, and his development of Trevor Lawrence is bad. Now, the, with the whole Trevor Lawrence thing, not every rookie quarterback in this class has looked great. Zach Wilson has not looked good at times. Trey Lance has been a little bit rocky. Justin Fields, we know where the blame with that is. We, I think it's, un, it's unarguable that that's Matt Nagy, and Matt Nagy should probably be fired in Chicago after this season. None of them had looked as bad as Trevor Lawrence. And it just looks like Trevor Lawrence just doesn't have the infrastructure and organizational structure around him to help develop him. So for those reasons, I would not give Urban Meyer a second season with the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think he needs to go. I think, look, I think I think Shad Khan, the owner, will give him to the end of this season to maybe try to turn it around. But he has lost the tune of the locker room. He has lost the respect of his assistants. He doesn't even know his players. Did you see when the reporter asked him about Andre Sisco and why he's not playing more? And Urban Meyer said he is playing more. And he played, and he said he played quite some this weekend. He had zero snaps. He just looks checked out. He looks disinterested, and he looks inept. Okay, so Chris Wallace left Fox News for CNN. So I found this Monday morning as I was going through some Apple News and trying to, you know, catch up on, on some reading. You know, one one of the things as a uh, young journalist, young broadcaster, that I've been told by people that I've talked to is, you know, you should always keep reading. Always try to read. So now that I'm back here, my home in Texas, not really doing full-time school, 
I'm trying to read a little bit more. But, um, so I woke up to this news that Chris Wallace had left Fox News. He's going to CNN. He's going to be the host of a new interview show on the company's digital streaming platform, CNN Plus, starting next year. And, look, um, I saw one headline that said Chris Wallace leaves Fox News and with him leaves the the company's last shred of credibility. So, before we get into how this influences and what this says about Fox News and what it says about CNN, let's talk about Chris Wallace for a second. If you are a young journalist, somebody who wants to be investigative, if you are a young broadcaster who wants to cover politics, Chris Wallace might be the one and only person you should model ethics and model behavior after. Because this man, he comes across as, obviously, he's very, very mature. He's in his mid-70s. But he's very mature, very smart. You know, doesn't get emotionally high or low. You know, he's, he's done it all. He's not afraid to ask anybody a question. In my opinion, of the people that I've seen interview since I've become conscious of the business and not, Chris Wallace is the best person to I've ever seen ask somebody a question. Now, I'm not going to go say all time because there's probably other people that, you know, people my dad's age or people my grandparents' age could throw in there as well. So I will, I'll leave that open. And if anybody of that age range is hearing this, please feel free to hit me up, maybe on Twitter, Gray underscore Singleton 2, and tell me who better there of an interviewer there was. But for my lifetime, I'm going to give it to Chris Wallace. I saw him moderate two presidential debates. I've seen his show Fox News Sunday a couple times. I've seen clips from it. I've seen him relate to Republicans, relate to Democrats. And he's, in my opinion, the best person to ever ask anybody a question. Fantastic interviewer. And... You know, what I aspire to do is not exactly what he does, but there are some things that I will take from Chris Wallace and how he goes about his business because he goes about it in an exemplary manner. And, you know, that's where we get to Fox News. Because, look, first of all, it is no secret that I am not a fan of the company. I am not a fan of its network stars. And we're about to talk about some of the things that I've seen in various articles, including this New York Times article that I have pulled up as I'm recording this. I'm not going to go as far as to say Fox News' credibility is now completely gone with the outing of Chris Wallace. But I won't summarily dismiss it. Because now, who are the people on Fox News that we are now listening to? And there is legitimate concern about all of the names I'm about to mention. You've got Sean Hannity. Okay, Sean Hannity, I put him first because he's the most tolerable of the three I'm going to mention. You can probably, and you can probably guess who the next two are. Um... Look, Sean Hannity comes across as a genuinely nice person. My problem with him is that he, too, will feed into, you know, I'm not going to say conspiracy theories, but he has contributed to the post-truth era 
and the post-truth president presidency of none other than Donald Trump. Um, and I'll, I'll leave it at that with him. Because there's no real problem I can point to with him. But he too will, can be problematic at times. The second one, obviously, is Tucker Carlson. Okay, He's the most watched cable um, host in America right now. And he now will we'll cover, we'll cover his documentary. I'll mention that in a second. But he has a new documentary coming out that is increasingly problematic. Um, he has been caught using racist language on his television shows, which somehow makes him the most watched cable news network, cable news host. I don't know how that is, but nothing says America like that. And then you've got Miss Shut Up and Dribble herself, Laura Ingram. Need I say any more? So that's Fox News without Chris Wallace. Now, the state of the company and the state of Fox News Network has been pretty tumultuous ever since the election, ever since the advent of the coronavirus. You have seen the network and its network stars play into just the sense of misinformation. They have amplified misinformation. And the difference between a lot of their stars and Chris Wallace is that Chris Wallace, as the tagline in this article from the New York Times says, had been with the network for 18 years and often dissented from the views of his pro-Trump colleagues. Now, quite frankly, I don't know where Chris Wallace is politically, personally, and I think that's the point he was trying to get at. And I think he played that very, very well, is that we didn't know what he was. All we knew is that he was an American investigative journalist who could host an interview show better than anybody I've ever seen. So, when we talk about Fox News, and I talk about the issues I have with the company, there's a lot of people that have issues with the company. Is this really going to hurt the company? And the answer is, maybe not right now. And the reason why is because I saw a graph, obviously Fox News, and this has been amplified and said all the time by former President Trump, is that Fox News is the most watched cable news network in the United States of America, which it is, undoubtedly. There's no, there's no argument to be made. Most Americans who watch cable news will watch Fox News. Now, here's the thing. Fox News fan base is similar to the fan base based on the graph that I that I saw, and I can't remember where I got this from, so you'll have to forgive me. But most of Fox News' audience is above the age of 50. Now you see the, the similarity between that and Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball, we talk about it being a dying audience. Well, similar to Fox News. Because most people who watch cable news are 50 and older. Most of those people are likely to be on the more conservative or the more political right side. Younger people are the ones that make up the more liberal sector of society who would maybe watch something like MSNBC or Chris Wallace's new employer, CNN. Except younger people don't spend their time watching cable news. For obvious reasons. I don't spend my time watching cable news unless I'm trying to find quotes for shows. That's the only time I watch cable news and during the election. But people like me and people like, you know, other other younger, 
more left-leaning people aren't watching cable news. So I think it's kind of skewed that Fox News has claimed sub- subliminally to represent more of America. And also, let's keep in mind here that age 50-year-old far-right people probably won't have a problem with Tucker Carlson's purposefully racist rhetoric. But what's been going on at Fox News, as this article as this article states, is that the network has pulled far ahead of its competitors, CNN, MSNBC, in the ratings with an expanded slate of right-wing commentary that denounces President Biden, sometimes undeservedly so, but sometimes it is critical and it's fair. Also, both of those other companies that I mentioned have also had stark criticism of the new president, has defended former President Trump to, without end. But some members of its newsroom have been unnerved by the programming that has given weight to vaccine skeptics or amplify conspiracy theories about the January 6th Capitol riot. Now, the Capitol riot is where this all goes haywire with Fox with Fox News. Because several of its... Because this is, this is what happens here. Other journalists who have left Fox News, Shepard Smith, Kristen Fisher... Kristen Fisher is a little bit more familiar. And in May, Juan Williams, who was a little bit more liberal, still employed by Fox News, was removed from his top spot on the network's afternoon talk show, The Five. Also, Democratic analyst Donna Brazile left for ABC. And then, a pair of conservative pundits. So now now we've gone from the political eh to the political right. Stephen Hayes and Jonah Goldberg, and this is a story I, I was aware of, both quit Fox News last month in protest of Tucker Carlson's new documentary on the January 6th riot. Now, I told you I'd mentioned that documentary, and this is what it is. This documentary will paint the January 6th riot as a possible conspiracy theory as if the prote- as if the riot was staged to be a false flag ceremony to represent Trump supporters. Obviously, we know this is a bunch of baloney. We also know that any theories about the involvement of Antifa at the Capitol riot, which I'm going to stop using riot because I do believe it was an insurrection and domestic terrorism, had nothing to do with Antifa. It was a small band of people who were mad about the election and were mad that they lost. Okay, like that that's what that was. There's no need to go any further with that. But this is the state of Fox News. And it is no real coincidence that people like Stephen Hayes and Jonah Goldberg and Shepard Smith and Kristen Fisher, Juan Williams, Donna Brazil, and now and now Chris Wallace are leaving the network because this is concerning. And if Fox News is going to give credence to the claim that they are, of course, of that they are America's most watched cable news network, which it is, you need to stop with this defending of the post-truth presidency, stop amplifying, you know, conspiracy theories, and start taking things for what they are. Because, in reality, you know, Fox News is not helping the the country by amplifying voices who try to dismantle any kind of social movement, who will try to make the former president seem as clean as he can be, which obviously we know he was not. He is the instigator of the post-truth era in the media and of media ethics. And just accept things for for what they are. 
Now, to CNN, because this is a big win for CNN. This is a grand slam for CNN, because CNN has been mired in controversy probably for the past year-ish as it pertains to its former anchor, Chris Cuomo. Now, Chris Cuomo, if you recognize that last name, is the brother of former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, and Chris Cuomo was fired last week because of a more dangerous and more ethically violating involvement in trying to cover up his brother's sexual assault scandals than otherwise were known. So the fact that CNN has been in the news, and this is also something that that Fox News does very, very interestingly, and I don't know why they do this, but the amount of gloating over the departure of Chris Cuomo from CNN was quite alarming to me. I don't, I normally don't see, and you don't see this in the sports industry, you know, between the NFL Network, between ESPN, Fox Sports, um, NBC Sports, you don't see a whole lot of cross-reporting between the business happenings of the two companies. This is something, and this is not something that CNN or MSNBC does either. Yeah, they might comment on something that one of the anchors said, but they don't spend exorbitant amounts of time talking about somebody being fired from another network and basically ingratiating themselves in the business, you know, um, excursions of a particular network. That just doesn't happen. The business happenings. So that was alarming to me. But what CNN is trying to do now um, is, number one, there might be a merger with Discovery Incorporated as well, which might play into their hands, but they have landed Chris Wallace. They have they have reached out to Rachel Maddow, who is a um, prestigious reporter for MSNBC, as they are trying to rebuild, and now they're going to the streaming ranks, where obviously the more people are turning towards streaming as cable subscriptions have died. Fox News also has a has a streaming service as well. So CNN is slowly but surely preparing itself for when their audience, the more liberal generation in the United States, which are people my age, around 20, will come into the age where they are watching cable news and they will be, and they will be ready to overtake Fox News as the most watched television network in the United States. And just as baseball's audience is dying because they are failing to market to the younger generation, the same might be able to be said about Fox News. Because Fox News' audience is older, and eventually it will die off. That's just biology. CNN has done a better job of marketing more entertaining journalism, sometimes more correct journalism, and not only that, have amplified voices that give credence to things like environmental sustainability, social justice movements, you know, things like that. Not spewing rhetoric that is xenophobic, homophobic, and post-truth. Which network, based on societal cues, is marketing better in terms of values to the younger generation? So Stephen A. Smith, a couple weeks ago on First Take, was talking about LeBron James and Michael Jordan in terms of the GOAT debate of basketball. And really, they weren't even talking about that. They were talking about the Lakers. And Stephen A. Smith made this comment, that if LeBron James takes this Los Angeles Lakers team to the NBA Finals, he would entertain 
LeBron James being the greatest basketball player of all time. Okay. Stephen A. Smith right now is still at the point where he completely dismisses any argument that LeBron James is a better basketball player than Michael Jordan was. I am not at that point. Now, obviously, for clarification, I am 20 years old. I did not watch Michael Jordan play. But I do know this. There are many arguments that you could make for why Michael, for my LeBron James has had a greater career and is a greater basketball player than Michael Jordan. There are the, their arguments are already there. And let's start with Stephen A's cr- um, criteria for when he would des- decide that he was going to entertain debate that, my, that LeBron James might in fact be better, better than Michael Jordan. And let's start with this. Stephen A. Smith says that if LeBron James takes this Los Angeles Lakers team, the oldest team in NBA history, his roster consists of Carmelo Anthony, of Wayne Ellington, of Malik Monk, of Russell Westbrook, of Anthony Davis, of Dwight Howard, DeAndre Jordan, Avery Bradley, Taylor Horton Tucker, Guys like that, if he takes that team, gets them past Phoenix, gets them past Golden State, that would make him the greatest basketball player of all time. Well, I would say to Stephen A. Smith, I'm glad you brought that up because he's already done that. Back in 2007, 2006-2007 season, LeBron James took the Cleveland Cavaliers, this is part of his first stint with the team that drafted him, they were 50-32, and They finished second in the NBA Central Division in the Eastern Conference. They were only two games under what they were expected to win. And this was the roster he took all the way to the NBA Finals. And I'm not even, and I'm I'm, I'm going to get to the people he beat in the playoffs because it's rather remarkable. But here are the people that he had on his team. A young Shannon Brown. Okay, Shannon Brown developed into a quality sixth man or seventh man. As a point guard, okay? He wasn't bad. Daniel Gibson, okay? Didn't really develop into much, but he was a decent role player for his NBA career. Drew Gooden, a decent role player throughout his NBA career. Larry Hughes, I have no idea who he was. Zdrana Silzowskis, a good center for... He was, a, he was a pretty good center for his NBA career. Damon Jones, who I believe was first carried to the NBA Finals by Allen Iverson in 2001, and then got carried to the NBA Finals by LeBron James. Dwayne Jones, mm, I don't know. Danielle Marshall, mm, Ira Newble, Sasha Pavlovich, Scott Pollard, the dude that had the ridiculous-looking beard and had this weird get-up with his face. I don't know what was going on. Eric Snow. Eric Snow was all right, but even he was in his 11th year by that point. He was 33 years old. Anderson Verjao, who developed into a very good center. Not Hall of Fame, not anything like that, but he was a very, a very serviceable center out of Brazil. And David Wesley. Okay, who was that? Also washed, 36 years old. All right, here we go. LeBron James took that team, which, by the way, you can probably count on, how, on probably one hand how many players you recognize from that team, if that. In the first round, beat Gilbert Arenas and the Washington Wizards. Semifinals beat Jason Kidd, Vince Carter, and the New Jersey Nets in six games. In the Eastern Conference Finals, beat Richard Hamilton, Tayshawn Prince, 
and the Detroit Pistons, a team that would would go back to the NBA Finals, and it just won an NBA Finals two years ago, I believe, two or three years ago, when they beat the Lakers, and then got swept in the NBA Finals by the San Antonio Spurs. Okay, LeBron James took that team, that team, to the NBA Finals, and went through three very, very quality opponents. Gilbert Arenas, great basketball player. The New Jersey Nets, that was a good Nets team. Jason Kidd is a Hall of Famer. Vince Carter obviously will be a Hall of Famer. And then Detroit. I'm not going to say any more about Detroit. He took that team to the finals. Now, fast forward to his second stint with Cleveland. After the, after the whole Miami thing. Fast forward to his next stint with the Cavaliers. Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love, who we assembled around him to try to make a pseudo-super team, are hurt. He gets them all the way to the NBA Finals again in in a season in which his second best player was Matthew Dellavedova. They are up 2-1 on the Golden State Warriors. This is the 2014-2015 season. They're up 2-1 on the Golden State Warriors, and it takes the greatest coaching adjustment by Steve Kerr of all time, the greatest coaching adjustment of all time, in my opinion, in playing small ball. He got Andrew Bogut out of there, inserted Andre Iguodala into the starting lineup. Golden State rattled off three wins and won in the NBA title. It LeBron James with Matthew Dellavedova and J.R. Smith and Timothy Mozgov with David Blatt as his coach was up 3-1 on the Golden State Warriors. The greatest shooting backcourt of all time, Draymond Green, Harrison Barnes, Andrew Bogut, the tribe called bench, and the depth that they had on that team. LeBron James was up 2-1, to one, and it took Steve Kerr's magnificent, maybe the greatest coaching adjustment of all time to beat him. So to Stephen A. Smith, I would say about your criteria for, de- for debating whether or not LeBron James is as great as Michael Jordan, or if not better, I think LeBron James has already done it, and has already done it twice, for that matter. Now, this year would be something special, because you could say the competition is a little bit tougher. You know, Golden State... You know, they're more mature. They've, they've got players. Jordan Poole is an up-and-coming player. Andrew Wiggins is very good. They've gotten the best out of him. James Wiseman is going to come back. That's a good Golden State team. Phoenix, not a pushover. Reigning Western Conference champion. Chris Paul's back. Devin Booker's going to get healthy. And the majority of their roster's back, and they upgraded their bench with JaVale McGee. That's a good team. The Clippers are still there. Dallas is playing better basketball than I thought they would. The Spurs keep figuring a way to hang around. Denver's, you know, Jamal Murray's going to come back at some point. The Jazz are no pushover. It's a gauntlet to get through the Western Conference. I get it. But for me, if LeBron James takes this Lakers team to the finals, but forget about if he wins it or not. But if LeBron James takes this team to the NBA Finals, to me, that's icing on the cake. And if he wins it, I think it solidifies him. As the greatest basketball player of all time. Remember, LeBron James at one point had been to 10 consecutive NBA Finals. And this is my greatest argument for why LeBron James is greater, is a, has a greater career than Michael Jordan. Because LeBron James has played 19 seasons in the NBA. 19. He's still averaging 26-7. and seven. Still. I mean, it's, it's remarkable. Michael Jordan was not an all-star at this point in his career. 
Not to mention, he had already retired once. And I get that there were external factors that that were around that. I, un- I understand that. But LeBron James, 19 seasons into the NBA, he is 37 years of age, is doing this. Continuing to elevate players, continuing to adapt his game, continuing to be a top three player in the world. And remember, and remember, and this is not just me saying this. This is every single person that covers basketball. Michael Jordan could not get to the NBA. He did not sniff the NBA Finals until A, he got Scottie Pippen, and B, he got Phil Jackson as his coach. LeBron James, no matter who his coach has been, I'm gonna, let, let me tell, tell you all the, all the coaches LeBron James has taken to the NBA Finals. David Blatt, Mike Brown, um, Tyron Lue, good coach, Eric Spolstra, good coach, and Frank Vogel. Frank Vogel's now on the hot seat. He has taken five different coaches to the NBA Finals, countless no-names on countless rosters. Did he have to team up with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh for a couple years in, um, in Miami? Yeah, he did. But remember the last, the last NBA Finals run that they made when they got beat by San Antonio, when Kawhi Leonard was the MVP. That last run, it was an injured Dwayne Wade and a Chris Bosh that was not himself. And a bunch of nobodies. What LeBron James has done over the course of his career has been absolutely impressive. And the fact that he's still doing it now. Because what, what do we think about LeBron James? Do we think LeBron James has what? Three three good years left? Two? Four? How long is LeBron James going to hang around? It could be a minute. Because of the way he takes care of his body. Not to mention... And I would put this in terms of the greatest conversation of all time. His social endeavors. That's not to say Michael Jordan didn't have social endeavors, because he did. But he is championing movements. He is raising awareness for things. He has taken every brunt of criticism that he has received and has done the absolute best with it. He handles criticism fantastically. He has been dealing with all of this now at 37 years old since he was 18 in the NBA. Came out greatest, um, probably the greatest rookie first game performance of all time. So I would say to Stephen A. Smith, I agree with you, man. You want to entertain Michael, uh, LeBron James in the GOAT conversation when he takes this Lakers team to the NBA Finals? Fine. I would I would challenge you to say he's already done it with a worse roster, albeit not as old, but a worse roster going through just as fantastic talent. Hey, Stephen A., does that count? I wonder. Anyway, thanks for listening to The Gray Area. My name is Grayson Singleton. Do this, try to do this every week. God bless. Keep cool. We'll see you all next time. Thank you.